1: Ciao through to the next round of the FA Cup after a performance that featured two starkly contrasting 45-minute segments. If only there was a cliche to sum that up. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I mean, uh, a, a game of two periods of starkly contrasting football performance. Wow. You know what? We'll workshop it, but I'm pretty sure there's got to be a cliche that sums up when a team plays very differently uh, over 45-minute increments. In any event... Gosh, we've got news. We've got news. Uh, why don't I do this first? Paul's on Twitter. Paul's in my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive is taking the pod off because he's been on so many pods, and he's like, you know what, mate? I could use a break, and, and it'll help you speed it up because we don't have a lot of time to record this one. And what he has been doing since uh, det- determining that he will be left out of this pod is WhatsApping me all the points he wants to make in the pod, so... <laughs> I love Clive. I absolutely love Clive. The passion. You, 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 you really cannot replace the passion. Um, okay, so I said there was news, and there is news. We have winners. I finally got around to picking winners, and I do want to say uh, I still have a shirt that I have to send out from a previous winner of a previous thing, and with my baby being born, it, yeah, it just escaped me. No excuse, uh, so that will be going out, but here we go. Announcement time, and we'll be putting this in social media posts as well. The Arsenal shirt of your choice has been won by Martin Heinrich. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Martin Heinrich. We will be emailing you. Um, The year subscription to The Athletic went to Emmanuel Lane. Emmanuel Lane. And I actually think Emmanuel Lane and I have uh, interacted on the social medias uh, quite a a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good stuff for Emmanuel. Um, You will be uh, able to subscribe to The Athletic for a year for free, assuming that's something you want. If not, uh, get in touch. We can maybe. Figure something out, but of course you want The Athletic. And then, uh, the year subscription to Patreon went to Alana Corrigan. Alana Corrigan. Um, so, uh, those are your winners. We will be announcing it on social media. And then, of course, uh, emailing all of you individually. Uh, just get in touch, and we'll get it sorted out. Hey. So we have our first transfer pod and our first analytics pod of the new year up on Patreon. Both are now live. You can go to Patreon, sign up for that. As I mentioned in the last pod, we're going to be eliminating programmatic advertising on this podcast. Uh it is basically a situation where between Patreon and uh, you know, growing and, and just our appreciation for the support, we feel that, you know, look, it, it is it is a wonderful thing to be able to put this podcast together for everybody. And and we want it to be something that everyone enjoys. And we certainly don't want an excess of advertising getting in the way of that. And we obviously talk about The Athletic and Patreon quite a bit. So the trade-off is um, that we've opted to eliminate the the advertising. And I hope that that is a, a fair balance. And, and in respect to that, then I hope you might consider giving us a sign up on Patreon or signing up for The Athletic. And one thing to think about with The Athletic is it is transfer month and you get a month free and 50% off with our promo code, theathletic.com forward slash ArsenalVision. Um, so why not just use the free month for transfer month? Get all of Ornstein's articles, get all the the breaking news. You can read Michael Cox's breakdown of, um, Arteta's system and what he's changed since he's arrived. It's an interesting one. So if you're ever going to do a month free, a transfer window month, seems like a good time to do it. The athletic.com forward slash Arsenal vision. Okay. Enough of that. Sorry for the prolonged housekeeping. Arsenal are through to the next round of the FA cup, where I believe we have Bournemouth away, uh, which has never been a tricky fixture for us. So no concerns there whatsoever. Um, Tim, just really quickly, I think Arteta had a tricky situation here in picking the lineup because he had a squad full of clearly shattered players after United. But he also has a league season that, if not totally dead, is barely clinging on on life support. And the FA Cup is a legitimate shot at a trophy. And if you're a new coach of a big club, you can't turn your nose up at the FA Cup if your league campaign looks pretty much toast. So he had to get this one right, and maybe he just about did, as the result proves, but I'm curious to get your sense of how he balanced it. Did you feel that maybe he should have opted to rest more or rested too many? Did you have a, a sense one way or the other of the way he picked the team?
2: No, I I thought he got it spot on actually. I I wasn't that interested in the idea of resting players. I think resting players is something that um that has become like a big preoccupation for fans in recent years. And I think it's bigger for Just fans than me, it is dude. for coaches. <laughs> <laughs> But it's 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 interesting. It's um yeah it's it it's something I read about a lot, um, and uh, yeah I, I think there's like a lot of anxiety um, around it with, like like for all fans, um, and yeah I, and I kind of looked at it and I thought well the only players that have played constantly this year are Leno who's the goalkeeper anyway but he got rested and that's kind of fine mm. a Bamiang yep absolutely rest him. Um, and then, like, maybe Torreira, although Torreira had been subbed a lot under um, under Emery. So I, I didn't think there were that many players that really needed a rest. It was five, game, five days since the last game. It's five days until the next one. And if we're talking about bringing the players up to the level of intensity that Mikel Arteta is looking for, then I think the best way to do that is probably to play them. Um, you know, they have a lot of data and things like that and if they think that people are close to muscle injuries or whatever then they can act on that but um no I I thought it was spot on and not least because uh Leeds are really good Leeds are better than uh, most of the bottom half of the Premier League I think um I I think they're a championship championship team in name only um at the moment and we had to treat them like like we would have um like a half decent Premier League team.
1: Mm and you know, I, I don't think you can analyze this game, Tim, without at least tipping your hat to the tenacious, exceptional pressing that Leeds does and the work that Bielsa has done with them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, any story of this game, I think, you know, it's going to be so easy to default to things like effort and energy and trying hard and caring and the right attitude. But I I, I do think that you have to at least be mindful of crediting leads for the the impressive work they do pressing the ball and and pressing teams have caused us problems in the past so i don't think it's totally crazy to be vulnerable to that um real quick tim before i i, I asked paul a question i don't remember the quote exactly but one of the things that i i think you put out there about arteta that really encouraged you was that he talked about how the energy is a minimum requirement that that Mm -hmm. and and we've discussed this in the past that it's not just about effort that it's about position but clearly energy was an issue in this game and he was able to get it turned around was that quote sort of something ringing in your ears as you watched this game because i think one of the questions we had is okay they turned up against united they turned up against chelsea will they turn up against a small team and and maybe this was sort of the the first chance for arteta to correct an attitude issue
2: Mm. yeah yeah And and i think it was valuable for that as well and he he seemed to say that afterwards look arteta knows bielsa's coaching inside out you know bielsa is is possibly the most influential coach um currently working in the game in fact i don't think there's any possibly about it he's hugely influential um and you know how bielsa's teams play and, and that's another reason i you know didn't see i saw this as a, as a tough draw because I know how his teams play. I watched his Chile team, I watched his Argentina team um, and they're like and, and actually the, the other, um, I think, possibly bright positive thing for us is that Bielsa has managed to coach a far inferior group to the group that we have to play in that uh, both technically and physically play to that level. Um, and you know, Arteta's looking at a fairly similar blueprint because Pep is hugely influenced by Bielsa, which means that Arteta is hugely influenced by Bielsa. And, and that's a positive note for us as well. And I, and, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to be said something like that to the players. Like, look, this is a, this is like a championship squad and look what it's doing. Like, so imagine what I expect of you. Mm. Um, and, uh, Given the fact that we kind of got away with it in the first half and we weren't a goal or two behind, which we probably deserved, it, it was valuable in terms of him being able to say, you know, it's almost like um, like a kind of a magic eye pick for the team, you know, like once you see it, you really see it. And it's it's you know, there, there's a very before and after quality. Um, to it, it's like you can either play like you did in the first half or you can play like you did in the second half and I'll leave you to choose which one you think is better and which one you think worked better. So, mm. um, yeah, hopefully a valuable lesson for them going forward.
1: Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about <clears throat> what Arteta may have said and, and, and the impact it had. But, Paul, I think, look, Leeds press is really good, but it takes two to tango and it takes it took some really bad Arsenal passing to make Leeds press look even better than it was. There was room to attack them in behind, and we did have some good counterattacking opportunities. I felt that they were vulnerable even when they were dominating because of the extent to which they were leaving themselves exposed at the back. We just couldn't hit a pass to save our life. Um, I thought Holding obviously had a bit of a mare. We're going to get to the midfield. I think it is probably the biggest talking point of the game uh, in terms of how they played in the two halves and then going forward what it means for how Arteta will want to set up. Obviously, it doesn't help... Holding having Socrates as a fullback on one side, you know, that that's not ideal. But he's he's a rusty player, and he's a player who hasn't played a lot. He's just coming back. Do you think that the passing out from the back, and in particular holding, really created the... the pre- do, do you think that it was a factor of, of Leeds being exceptional? How much of it do you think was self-inflicted and largely just bad passing?
3: So I've actually weirdly watched quite a bit of Leeds this year. Uh, following my boy, Eddie. Mm. And I know there's a perception he didn't play, but um, he played for them 17 times, often from the bench, often 45 minutes or 20 minutes. Uh, And he had three starts, I think. Um, So I ended up watching them a lot and playing against them. This is how they play, just on steroids. Um, They love playing away from home. I think they won eight of their last nine away games because They've more space to play into. The other team comes at them, um, and they play they, they play system players. Bamford, sorry about that. Um, Bamford is not a better player than Enketia, but I guess a they own him, and b he's a system player. Uh, they brought on Helder Costa in the second half, and uh, who's a very he's an exciting player. Uh, like the theory that you play all your best players and then work out a system from them. That's not what Bielsa does. He's basically playing the Stepford Wives. Mm. Um, And, you know, the first half was like a bunch of spider monkeys, but with a really good plan and system. Everything they did worked. All the passes came off. They were first into all the challenges. They were high energy. They were basically saying, uh, announcing themselves to the Premier League, and they had nothing to lose. So. They deserve huge credit in the first half. The question was, could they sustain it? No, they couldn't. would I
1: would only take issue with that to say that I don't think it's just that they didn't sustain it. I think that we did things to to yeah, yeah. relieve it. but yeah go oh ahead. yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. oh yeah. but still, um, I I was not, I don't think any of us were really shocked that uh, should not have been shocked that they were good. They came out as that they covered the pitch. You know, they had this 4-1-4-1. Phillips is a really good DM. Um, And they just, every one of them hit their passes, made the the runs. All the angles were perfect. They were just, they were perfect in the first half. Um, They just don't have a top-class finisher. That's where Eddie comes in. That's why Eddie actually Mm -hmm. got a pretty good look in at Leeds from time to time. Because Bamford's a brilliant system player, but tends to almost score and not quite score. Um, and we saw that in this first half. And um, yeah, we had a lot of issues, but my simple summary of how we set up is very Emery era. We had Chaka and Gendouzi in midfield. Um, well, they haven't. that leg hasn't been broken and reset yet under Emery. And then the other key piece of it would have been, as you hit on Socrates at right back, who I think was OK and was a good out ball for headers from from the keeper and helped relieve a bit of press. But he was not Maitland-Niles uh, shifting to form at three in midfield. So this really wasn't an a uh, Arteta-era setup. Um, we played very much like an Emery team, bad spaces, kind of raggedy all over the place. Um, I'm not sure, actually, we did that much different in the second half, except we really came at them and they dropped a little. Um, and our, our individual performances and our individual efforts really came to the fore in the second half. We outplayed them, um, but not from some beautiful structure. Just the synchronicities between the boys and the extra half a yard they got, we started knocking it around them, and they couldn't do it to us. So, uh, I do think the big pieces of it were that. I mean, when you think of uh, an Arteta team at the moment, there you got some Maitland Niles action on the the right hand side, allowing Kolasinac to get up the wing on the left hand side. Kolasinac never got out of the 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 back four in the first half. I didn't. I almost didn't notice him. And as you said, we the the shame of it was. We did have four, at least four or five good counters in the first half, and basically uh, they all ran down the cul de sac So there's a whole final third piece of our counters. I mean, we had, uh, I was just making a note of them, we had Nelson, Pepe, Luis, Chaka, uh, and Lacazette all streaked down the the field in the first 25 minutes of the game to no effect. Uh, Other people not Mm. making themselves available or them not making the right choices, so... There's, the good news is there's huge upside to this, um, and as you yeah. guys alluded to, I think this was a necessary thing to go through. The we beat Man United. There's that emotional release. We think we've got the hang of this thing. We're playing some ankle biters from down the table or the championship in the next game, and we, despite. Uh, Saying to ourselves everything we needed to say beforehand that the hive mind of the team hasn't linked into how dig how big you're going to have to dig in the first half to match them, uh, and required a hairdryer uh, yeah. speech at halftime to to kind of ignite the fire.
1: Well, and and sometimes it's just a case of getting the wrong team at the wrong time, right? So, like Tim, what I mean by that is, if we had faced a championship team whose approach was sit really deep and defend and try to hit us on the counter. That may not have been as big a problem for a team that was struggling for energy and, you know, maybe shows up a little bit half assed. But against Leeds, you have to be the thing you have to be is sharp and intense and switched on. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you're gonna get more opportunities to get into space and attack them if you can get past their press, but you gotta be switched on and we weren't and so we we paid for it and they had us on the rack. I I just I think that the way I look at it, look, they man-marked everybody, right? So, Genduzi was man-marked off the ball. Shaka was man-marked off the ball. And I think those two deserve a lot of, I hate to use the word blame, but, but responsibility for the challenges we had in the first half because I don't think they worked hard enough to get free of their marker, to give people an option. And there was one very clear um, moment where uh, Holding played a terrible ball. I mean, it's a terrible ball, to be fair. But he played it thinking Shaka would come back to the ball, work back to the ball for him, and he didn't. And the ball was picked off, and it created a really dangerous attack. Now, look, Holding was really poor with his passing all game. He's very rusty. You don't want to kill a guy who's just coming back from injury, but it's a worry. I mean, obviously, it's a worry against better opposition He probably would have been punished. But I do think that there's a big story of this game that is how the midfield performed first half, second half. And the two biggest differences for me, in the first half, I thought we played just too deep generally. There was one of those moments where Luis was sitting basically next to Martinez and played everybody onside, and it's one of the things that Clive has really pointed out all season. Um, but the other big thing was just the the midfielders not working hard enough to be available. And and you pointed this mm. out on Twitter. There's really two ways that you can play around a press like this. You can beat it with one-touch passing, or you can dribble past it. And we weren't able to beat it with one-touch passing, um, and Pepe on occasion dribbled past it, but with Guendouzi and Shaka, and we didn't really have that escapability. So... Do you want to maybe explore a little bit what Shaka and Ganduzi did so poorly in the first half that prevented us from being able to play our way out?
2: Yeah, I mean quite often they they just had their back to play. Um or sorry they they had their back to um the, the, opposition. Oh, the opposition so yeah yeah. Yeah, so they're like collecting the ball off of the center halves not on the half turn um and when you've already got a Leeds player like halfway up your backside already yeah, you're having to give yourself another touch to kind of to kind of get free. Um but I I don't think that's necessarily what changed in the second half. I think in the second half everyone just moved about ten yards further up the pitch. So all of a sudden Genduzzi and Jacka were kind of on the halfway line instead of, you know, really deep in their own half um and having to panic because they might get robbed of the ball. Um and and I, I don't think necessarily, I'm not sure what the data says about this. I didn't have the impression that we were technically hugely cleaner in the second half. I didn't like get the impression that it was kind of the technical level that went up per se. I mean, look at the goal. Um, you know, quite a scrappy goal. I, I think it is just the intensity went up. I, I, I really do think on this occasion it was kind of that simple, mm. that it was, it was that kind of intangible. I, I don't think... Like I said, I, th- I think certain players, the defensive players, the defensive line probably got 10 yards further up the pitch. And and after that, I, d- I really do think it was just a case of aggression um, and maybe being a bit more prepared because Arteta said afterwards, didn't he? You know, I, t- I told them what to expect, but sometimes... I suppose being told is, isn't quite enough, you know. If you think in your mind, oh yeah, but they're they're championship, aren't they? And we've got quite a strong team out
3: today, so we'll probably be okay. Um, and so, I, Tim, I did a yeah. quick check on the stats, and just if you look at past success rate, the first half we were seventy-one percent, and the second half we were seventy-four percent in past success. So, yeah, like you say, not a huge difference.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's that's better, but not enormously better i, I would have, and yeah i, I mean I, I would imagine we were on the ball a bit more maybe but um and and also you know you've got to take in other soft factors i guess is which is that, uh like the whole issue with bielsa team like bielsa i think i'm right in saying bielsa's never won a trophy in his career because what happens to his teams is with 10 games to go they completely explode sounds um, like pochettino to me <laughs> yeah and and who did pochettino play under as mm-hmm. a player and was hugely influenced by um, because Bielsa likes to work with small squads because his instructions are so specific that he doesn't feel he can rotate. Um, and, and and that goes for in-game as well. So, you know, Leeds, I don't think Leeds were ever going to quite be able to do that for 90 minutes. Um, their mistake, which wasn't really due to anything we did, was that they didn't convert their dominance um, and actually, that's probably a mistake we made against Chelsea—not converting that dominance when you when you have a super intense start. What you need to go, what you need to do is you need to go at least two goals clear mm. when you do that, so that so that you've got something to defend. Um, so I, I think there's kind of that to it, which probably wasn't really down to anything that we did, um, but I, f- I felt that we tried to get the ball to Pepe in slightly more uh, advantageous positions as well. So. Rather than like Socrates shuffling the ball five to ten yards up the line for him, where he's not facing our goal and he's got a leads player on his back, you know, we we were creating angles so that Gendouzi and Jacka were getting the ball to him from the side so that he could receive in a better body position and and go side on. Um, and and this other thing, I I know that Arteta's trying to coach them is not to pass the ball until the opponent's engaged. So particularly with the full backs. He's telling them to dribble and keep dribble it, basically keep dribbling until someone comes to you. And the second someone comes to you, then you move the ball um, and something that we did a lot under Emery and probably latterly under Wenger was just like rolling the ball side to side. And Arteta's whole thing is, no, don't do that. You wait until you see someone move and then you move the ball. And I think we probably did that slightly better. But honestly, um, I, I really do think the second half improvement was about 80 to 85% down to soft factors.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. I also think, look, sometimes it takes you time to come to grips with that style of play, right? I mean, you've got Socrates playing right back where he's basically never played for us up against an intense press. You've got Guendouzi who's been out of the team a bit now being pressed aggressively. You've got Holding who's extremely rusty facing an intense press without a lot of passing lanes and passing options. I mean, partnerships that aren't really familiar to players and it it takes time to come to terms with that. And, you know, I look at what you lose with a Maitland-Niles who's technically secure But I also think, you know, Torreira was a big miss in the first half. A big difference between him and Ganduzi is Torreira will come all the way back to the center back. And there were times in those first three games where the center backs would split and Torreira would literally drop between them to collect the ball and build play from the back. Guendouzi was not doing that. To your point, he was facing the ball. He wasn't aware of where his marker was, but he wasn't coming back to the ball enough. I think Shaka was extremely guilty of not coming back to the ball and making himself available and just doing the work to get free. I also just think in the second half, you may call it a soft factor, but I think... We played 10 yards further up the pitch. We were just committed to not getting sucked back into our own penalty area, into our own defensive third. We started possessions higher up, which you know made it easier for us to progress the ball. The spaces got smaller, and, and it started to look a little more like our Teta ball. And
2: <clears throat> just so that we don't... Did you... Um, yeah. I, I, I just wanted to say, like, to really, really sum it up. Did you see the tweet from the Simpsons Arsenal account? I, this I morning, almost.
1: Which, cer- oh, no, not this morning, because this morning I've been doing podcasts. Yeah. Stuff.
2: Like this morning, UK type. Like It's just absolutely perfect. It's just the scene where um, I, th- I think it's an old Halloween episode where Bart gets a crusty doll and it's evil. And then someone picks up and goes, oh, here's the problem. And it's just like the switch on the back is switched to evil instead of good. <laughs> but he but he changed it. So he said, oh, here's the problem. In the first half, it was set to Emery. And in the second half, we said it to Arteta, and that—that's kind of what it felt like.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, it sure does. And I mean, the the funny thing is, I mean, I, I want to read out these statistics. This comes from Scott and is by the numbers column uh, for Ars Blog. I think this is probably a lot of opted data too. So, in the first half, our shot differential was minus twelve. Second half, plus ten. XG differential, we were minus 0.6 XG in the first half. Second half, we're two point one plus two point one XG advantage. Um, first half minus 16 touches in the box second half 18 positive. positive first half minus 75 final third touches second half plus 113 so i mean the statistics bear out what your eyes are telling you this was just a better more dominant performance in the second half paul Genduzzi was getting in the neck a bit in the first half and i have to admit i was guilty of it and I think sometimes I feel because I've been such an acolyte, you know, such a believer in Guendouzi that when he throws up a stinker, I feel compelled to point it out so that I, I'm not accused of, of bias because, you know, I'm willing to criticize players when they perform poorly. And and with Guendouzi, I should be willing to do that even though I really believe in his potential. He turned it around and had nearly a man-of-the-match second-half performance. And if you want to read Scott's By the Numbers column, uh, he breaks that down as well. Is there something specific to Ganduzi's Change of performance half to half that that you observed that might explain um, what what he got right that he wasn't getting right in the first half. Uh,
3: no, I generally believe we were very similar in our approach as were all the players in first and second half. I think you know Arteta or uh, you really Amy you really Martinez, believe that you think the approach was yeah. was the same. Did did you yeah. do you
1: agree with me though that there was a concerted effort to be pushed up a little more. I felt that we were clearly pushing higher up the pitch in the second half.
3: Sure, but uh, to your point, that requires... Uh, you know, we didn't pl- plan to play deep in the first half. That wasn't a plan. They drove us back. I mean, you just have to watch the first 10 or 15 minutes. And, like, they're at us like spider monkeys. Mm. And everything they do, like, they just this ESP between them in terms of the runs, the moves, etc. Not too much you can do when it's like in tennis when your opponent's just hitting the ball right in the center of the racket and they're hitting all the lines. I mean, what can you do? They're going to drive you right back. That's what I think happened in the first half. I think their level dropped a little in the second half. I think they were slightly deflated that, that after all of that, um, they had zero goals and we came out charging. I mean, if you look at the first 10 minutes, we basically get the goal at the end of the first 10 minutes. We have like eight opportunities. We just, we're firing, we're pounding at them. Emi Martinez said, Arteta said to run at them like wolves, to use our kind of the the animal part of you. And it was just a much more feral approach, but structurally not that different. And with the ball ahead of Ganduzi, he's shone. With his, the ball behind into the him drawing the man onto him. I mean, uh, it's great to draw your man onto you, but him and Chaka in the first half uh, take the pressure and then invite even more pressure, which gives more time to whoever their out ball is. If they knock it back to the centre back or the goalie, you know uh, they've already signaled which way this is going, and it just uh, that first half did not suit us and brought out the worst in Chaka and Gendouzi with their backs to go. And in the, the second half, we right from the get-go, we played with the ball ahead of us in large part. You, you saw, especially in the early parts of the second half, Lacazette dropping really deep to help play us out and then pinging it up the wings between him and Pepe. They were big players in getting us going. Uh, that was a very important period for Mosul, who didn't have the most energetic game. There was a, a moment I noted... 15 minutes and 45 seconds in the first half. Have a look at Ozel then. He's a basket case. He's walking around, his head's down. He's got no energy. And yet he, he summoned it in the se- the early part of the second half. And I think had Leeds had that ESP factor and that energy they had in the first 10 minutes uh, of the second half, we would not, I don't think we just said, hey, why don't we play 10 yards further up? So, uh, but uh, it it, it's, it was the kind of, the second half was the kind of game Genduzi loves. I mean, he ran like a wolf to the man's point. I, I think Arteta said something really clever in the presser too, which is kind of obvious, but he basically talks about us winning our duels in the second half, which is, if you like, that soft thing. I mean, I'm sure we decided to win our duels in the first half too, but we weren't. We won every duel in the second half It felt like Mm. Um, and that allowed and he he talked about and people making their runs. Well, there's no point making runs in the first half if you're losing all your duels uh, to be in position to receive the ball that ain't coming. In fact, it's going to pull you out of position. So there's this strange hive mind thing that happens when the, the momentum goes with you where the guy makes the challenge, you think he's going to win that ball, so you make the run. And to me, that was the difference in the first half and the second half. We we were losing our challenges. People weren't uh, getting into the position to receive the pass when we did win the challenge, because they just kind of assumed it was going against us. So, frustratingly, I know, I don't think there's an easy tactical answer to why we were better in the second half. It just suited Gendouzi and sean. I mean, he was, he was feckin' great, but... And uh, I generally all around, we were sharper, more energy, winning our duels. Uh, people making the quick run to receive from that, uh, as opposed to the first half where you'd have some guy. You know, we had five runs up the field, and nobody making the right run or any run for them. So,
1: yeah. Well, let's get into a,
3: a few other individual performances.
1: I I feel like I'm not going to tease out of either of you a, <laughs> a detailed uh, Ganduzi. Analysis in terms of a of, of problem in the first half. And I, you know, it's funny because I think there are some people that on second watching or, or thinking back on it have, have kind of changed their opinion of Ganduzi's first half that it maybe wasn't as bad as they thought. And I certainly thought he's shown in the second half. I guess, Tim, to sort of wrap up the, the midfield conversation here, though, the one thing that I do think is very starkly different between Ganduzi and Shaka is I still can't help feeling that Ganduzi is a player who is just a little better, more advanced. I don't think he thrives when he has to occupy the deepest parts of midfield. I think that's where his his sort of lack of positional discipline gets the better of him. He has an instinct to range forward. He wants to extend the distances so he can collect the ball higher up the pitch. I don't know that he he always defends well deep. I think he's a great job at jumping passes and intercepting up the pitch. I'm not sure he's as good defensively when he has to get deeper. I think Shaka is the opposite, right? I mean, he likes to have the game in front of him and sit deep and distribute. And I thought it was funny. By contrast, Shaka had a run, a really uncharacteristic run. Maybe you remember this in the game where he just carried it forward, carried it forward, carried it forward. Yep. And he got into the final third and he had options, but he just, he can't give the pass. He just does. He had another <laughs> yeah, one on the yeah, right yeah. side too, where he had Pepe on the overlap and it just it's just not in him. I mean, do you think that's at least a fair observation that maybe the difference between them is that Genduzi would prefer to be a little higher up the pitch and thrives when he can get into the opposition half where he can charge past a player and, and give a, a ball into the final third where Shaka would prefer to sit a little deeper and, and distribute that way?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the issues I think people have about um, assessing Genduzi is that we're not really quite sure what he is um and he, do- he doesn't really fit that neatly into it's not like um Torreira right you know what you've got with Terrera, you know what you've got with Xhaka you know what they're good at um and you know what they're not good at and you kind of you can categorize them quite nicely Genduz is a bit trickier because he's not really a defensive midfielder you wouldn't say he's a number 10 you wouldn't say he's a six wouldn't really say he's an eight um but yeah like basically his game is kind of built around like I I think he's quite good at receiving the ball from the defense. But the only reason for that, though, is just because he's so calm. Um, I think that's it's not so much his distribution from deep is amazing. It's like it's not a touch on Jackers. It's just he doesn't mind if he's like a bit crowded. He's confident enough to, to take the ball, which is in itself a big attribute. But really, I think his favorite thing is getting the ball Kind of maybe just kind of left of centre, um, and just driving with it, and just driving inwards, um, al- almost Rzyski style. Um, really, I, you know, I wouldn't say they're they're similar players per se, but you know, Rizitsky on the ball was just like um, you know like a dog with a bone. Really, that was when you saw him come alive, and I think it's the same with Gendouzi. I don't, I don't think he's really that much of an off the ball player. He's he's someone who wants to be on the ball. Um, but he wants a lot of touches. I think he wants to drive forward. And I, th- I think he's basically the guy really you want to carry the ball from the halfway line to the final third. I, th- I think that's kind of what we're looking at. And, uh, Which is and, a
1: really important role, by the way. You yeah, know, yeah, we don't yeah, have yeah, anyone else that wants to do it.
2: It's exactly what, it's what Santi Cazorla used to do, really. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he did it a little bit deeper um, in his best form. Um, it's what Jack Wilshere used to, used to do as well. Um, and I think you're right. I think he's got, I think he's got that pass. He's got a really nice, um, he's got a really nice pass, like, in that kind of corridor between centre-half and fullback. He He the hasn't quite the got... the
1: underlapping half-space pass, right, between yeah. exactly, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly, the I think off. He's cool. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got that, that really nice, like pre-assist kind of pass. He, he hasn't got like the Ozil pass um, or the pass that like sets the guy in, in on goal, but yeah, he's, he's really good at, at spotting the overlap and just kind of hitting that ball. Um, and, and yeah, and, and it's, and it's difficult to assess those players sometimes and it's difficult to work out what to do with them because you know, you put, you can put him in a double pivot with Xhaka. He's he's not going to, he's not going to sit there and stay there. I think what Emery tried to do as well was sometimes have Gendouzi as the receiver and Xhaka like a little bit further up. Um, and I'm not sure that that worked really. I I kind of probably tend to have that the other way around, mm. um, but it is, it's okay. We're, we're kind of discovering what he is and, and the thing is, like, it's weird now. Now, where we've moved from two central midfielders to three, we're like, we're so much more desperate to categorise them. Whereas in like the days of four four two, it was just like, yeah, this guy's a bit more defensive and wins the ball, and this guy's a bit more attacking and might score you the odd goal. You know, it's it it's like like Vieira and Petit They're, there's mm. not like a h- huge distinction between those players it's just yeah one's a bit more of a runner and one's a bit more of a playmaker you just want to sit there um Keane Keenan Scholes as well like there's not like a massive like oh yeah he's the 6 and he's the 8 it's just you know and 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 but in in this kind of day and age of like a three in midfield like we we we're, we're in a big rush to like really kind of codify those roles uh, and actually to some extent the midfield three does kind of demand that that separation of responsibilities a bit more because you know in the old midfield two days it was just like well when the ball comes near you do what you need to do win a tackle and pass the ball whereas now it's it's a little bit more structured so um you know maybe 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 on one hand uh, Arteta needs to work out what Gendouzi is and how best to use him but on the other hand I don't think we need to worry about it so much and we don't need to have so much anxiety about um, which particular box he fits in.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> that's fair. I, I just if in my mind and sometimes the picture you have of a game in your mind isn't accurate, but in my mind, if I picture this game and I think where was Ginduzi poor in the first half, I would say when the ball was in our half and we were struggling to progress it. He wasn't either making himself available or, or getting into the positions to help us escape the press. And if I had to picture the second half, what he was doing so well, it's him from the halfway line forward, charging forward, creating opportunities, beating a Leeds player. He had that one really good run where he, he curled the shot just wide of the post. I think that there's more to come from him in the attacking half, and and that's sort of where I see him developing. And, and as uh, far- I do feel
3: yep. Arteta can do a huge amount with Guendouzi in particular on – Really small things, how he stands, where he stands, body positioning, um, you know, how his first couple of steps, how he turns, uh, what he does when he's the guy receiving from the centre back and has to lay it back. I think a lot of the big aspects of his game, his, his running with the ball, his passing, his vision is all superb. When you look at, you ever look at uh, Arteta or a Guardiola talking to a player about, you know, how they stand, where they stand, all that stuff. Um, I I, I like the idea that ganduzi has been taken out of the lineup for a few games because I think he's not been, he's been served well by Emery to have, to be given this start in this career, but not well coached by Emery. Um, And we basically took a wild child of the 60s and he's still a wild child. And he's brilliant when he's got the when he's looking upfield with the ball, um, mm-hmm. but all the little things, all those tight spaces, all those quick decisions. I mean, if you think of Arteta, who was an unathletic small player, um, he achieved everything he did for us with just uh, uh, clever positioning, footwork, uh, being really tidy in, in 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 tight spaces, and that. That, to me, is where Gendouzi looks really sloppy, especially when he's looking downfield instead of upfield. So I think he'll get a huge amount better under Arteta, but he's just not there yet.
1: Yeah, that's that's well said. I, I think the interesting thing is, you know, I, as poor as I thought his first half was, and maybe I, I'm overemphasizing that, his second half was good. I'm not sure Shaka quite ever came to grips with this game. Um, you know, I, I definitely think not making himself available put his defensive partners under pressure. And, and look... You know, when you look at a, a midfield press like Leeds had going on and man-marking players, the out balls. You know, the fullbacks are really important out balls. And between Socrates and Kolasinac on either side, I just, you know, while I don't think either of them was tremendously poor, and Socrates grew into the game, and I thought arguably was was one of the stars in the second half, they're they're not going to give you the same help in trying to break a press that you know better, more technical fullbacks might.
2: Um, one sort of the? Um, I was just going to say further to that. Like, I think one of the important things about this game, and one of the things that influenced the midfield as well, is we didn't do that inverted fallback thing. Right. Well, we couldn't. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we had Socrates there, and it was it was enough to ask him to play fallback. But um, yeah, we didn't do that, so it really was like a midfield two instead of a three, which I think has been really key to. Uh, to closing some of those distances in recent games. So maybe that was like a, a a big tactical element of it.
1: Yeah, and by the way, I mean, Nelson gets the goal and good for him. And I, I thought overall he was fine, you know, slipped a few times, had a, a few sloppy moments. But I think it also highlights to him a little bit how good Aubameyang has been working back from the left side, because I don't know that Nelson provided the same support and, and exit. And Aubameyang has really been... Covering every you know every inch of that that left wing since Arteta's N- move. Nelson him over there.
3: had ten touches in the game. Yeah, exactly. I, I actually thought he was very good, uh, but actually he was almost Invisible. a non-factor and, and, in many ways. And,
1: Paul, I mean, a lot of that obviously is for for half the game we couldn't progress the ball past the halfway line. Yeah. but I think Obamiang is better working back to the ball than, than maybe Nelson was. And also, to be fair, we were probably emphasizing getting it to Pepe for all the right reasons. Um, before we move on to Pepe and Lacazette, who I, I want to have a word about, the one funny feature of this game with Shaka that I thought was hilarious is, I mean, if he had a neon sign with him saying, please book me, he couldn't have been any more obvious in the first half about wanting a card. And the irony is he doesn't get a card and then spends the second half getting the shit kicked out of him and getting every leads player carded or fouled. I, I thought it was a really interesting dynamic. And one thing that I think about Shaka and-, and maybe, you know, Paul, since you've spoken about Shaka's mentality quite a bit, I think what I'm sort of learning about him is he's just a very, very emotional guy. And that seems obvious, mm. but I think he plugs in to whatever the prevailing emotion is. And then turns that up to 11 so in other words if things are going well and the team's up for the fight and there's camaraderie and the crowd's behind him he's g up the fans and he's smiling and he's he's hungry and if the fans are on the team's back a little bit and the game is going poorly he's fouling and he's kicking at people and he's pushing people down i mean is that fair to say that maybe just what it is is as a very emotional guy whatever the prevailing emotion of the game is he just tends to emphasize that because in the first half i really yeah. thought he was playing on the edge of, of being a little bit out of control with that
3: yeah, well, I think it's even more so he plays into uh, the state of our game. When we're getting stretched and exposed, nobody's more embarrassed than him. And he's a guy who doesn't like to be embarrassed. And I just think it brings out the rashness in him. Uh, he was much uh, cleaner in the second half, but then we were kind of on top. He does not like the fact that people are running around him, making him look slow, um I don't think he deliberately says I don't like this but it just it makes his blood boil and he then goes in for that sliding you know he did one of his sliding remember the penalty he gave away where he slid into the guy he had one of those against uh, Leeds in the first half on the the left wing and I'm not sure he was who he was up against there but it was like it was outside of the box but not by much and He didn't manage to catch him and he didn't get a yellow card because he didn't actually get a foot on the guy. But it was absolute. It was exactly the same in some ways as what he did for the penalty. And it was unnecessary. Um, And I just think he hates he hates that feeling of being the slowest player in midfield. People running around him, people making him look stupid and he's not going to have it. And the way he's not going to have it is he's going to lash out and take people down and He gets terribly rash. I think what you see with an an Arteta... I still think that the first half in particular exposed how much of an Emery setup this was. Uh, Tim talked about it with the full backs, etc. I mean, uh, this was not an Arteta-style setup here because he didn't have the players. And I think Chaka was exposed in the way he was for an Emery side, and he didn't like it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And look, I think because the game ended well and because he spent the second half getting the shit kicked out of him, I can laugh about it. But it is one of the things about Shaka that I think we we do worry about is just the the ability to get sucked into the negative emotional side of a game and let it take over his performance and control his performance. Yeah. And
3: and in the first half, all his flaws that we kind of hope might get fixed, they're all there, right? I mean, you see the he's full He's going to change as a half. player,
1: right? Like you can put him in better positions, yeah. but he's not going to become someone different than he is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. So. So. Tim. One of the players that I. I think. Just cannot for the life of him get himself out of a rut is Alexander Lacazette. Now, what's interesting about that is he's been a phenomenally important player under Arteta for everything that he's done in build up and and on the ball and and defensively and pressing. He just cannot get it right in the final third right now, and I thought there were a couple of moments in this game where he got into the box in good positions and could not get his shot off, could not get a pass away quickly enough. How worried are you about that side of his game? Is he doing enough other things that it doesn't matter? Or is it a situation for you where strikers have to strike, man? <laughs> you know,
2: like, how how big a um, problem is this? So I think he's doing enough other things so long as Aubameyang's in the team as well. Um, to kind of minimise um, the impact of him not being great in front of goal. I was reflecting on this the other day, and it's it's weird how quickly that confidence has gone, because he scored in Liège. He's, the thing is, he scored some goals in December. It's just none of them really meant anything. He scored in the defeat to Brighton, so that goal was virtually useless. He scored away in Liège. You know, who cares? Um, and he scored in uh he scored twice against southampton one of which was a stoppage time equalizer it just didn't feel like it so his, his goal scoring contributions have been like he hasn't gone months and months without a goal um so it's left him very very quickly um but yeah i mean I, he he clearly needs a goal at the moment because he's, he's snatching chances. shot away yeah i mean yeah 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 that do, and, you know
1: the one i'm talking about was left i want to say left yeah. channel in the box and he just Carried in it in the first half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just couldn't yeah, get it
2: out. Yeah, 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 And and actually, uh, Lacazette is one of those players. He does. He like. He's he's a bit of a Goldilocks shooter at the best of times. Anyway, like he he's not an abamiang He doesn't shoot pretty much on site Like you know, it has to be just right for him to pull the trigger. And actually, he's not been doing that. He's been kind of at any time like he sees the whites of, of the post he's like right I've got, I've got to get a shot off because i've got to get this goal um and and so i mean yeah it is a concern because we don't have that many goal scorers in the team and yes he's the center forward and he's a 50 million pound center forward and he's a good player and and he should be doing better in front of goal at the moment and this isn't the first time in his arsenal career he's gone through a little bit of a funk in front of goal he did in his first season um, but then we signed a Bamiang and he got injured and he kind of just sat it out for a couple of months with injury um, and, and maybe there's a bit of that um, at play here with his ankle which we talked about a couple of pods yeah. ago um, so I like yes I I am worried about what he's showing in front of goal I do think one goal will completely change that I do think it's one of them he'll score and and that'll be it it will be fine and um, I, I really like obviously we didn't see it on this occasion because he didn't play but I really like the way that Arteta's got them dovetailing so he's got the left back pushed right up so that Abamian can move inside um, and move into the area and and that way also Lacazette can kind of stay on the edge of the box which is I, I think that's where he enjoys being the most not in the box I think he enjoys being on the edge of the box and being that guy you know maybe to get a shot off but you know, being that guy, kind of moving things around or picking the pass or holding off defenders, I think he likes that kind of physical contact and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I think it's a mixture, really. I, I think he's playing well now since uh, since Arteta arrived. But yeah, he he needs to go. He needs something to go in for him.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> and I think. The good news is he's doing enough, Tim, without scoring. That's really important to what we want to do. And Aubameyang doesn't seem to be throwing any kind of strap playing out on the wing. And
2: so it, mm. it's not an issue we have to solve, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and we don't have to do that thing, you know, sometimes where you think, oh, Christ, I might have to drop him. But if I drop him, his confidence is going to drop even more, you know. No. Do, you, do you know recently, Herberto um, Firmino went nearly two months without a goal? And... Um, just before they went to the club World Cup he scored and he, he hadn't scored for like two months and nobody noticed. No nobody noticed. Well to be fair, his job Mane is to set Salah. the table
1: for Mane and Salah. Yeah. We don't have we don't have Money and Salah. Yeah. No, no. We no. Do no have a but, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And and because and they asked Klopp about it and Klopp just said I d I didn't even realise like didn't even realise because because of what you said, he's like, That's not what I look for in Firmino's game, basically. Yeah. And and I'm not saying Lacazette does it quite to that level I'm not sure anyone does does it to Firmino's level at the moment but it's it's a fairly similar principle
1: yeah and I would say like look if we had a superstar left-sided forward sitting on the bench you'd you'd have to make some tough decisions right because then you'd say well I might want to move Aubameyang to center forward and get that guy in but it's Saka who you know with all due respect phenomenal but you know he's a kid um, it's it's Nelson, who's not even really a left-sided player, and he's sort of one of the options on the right. And and that's basically it, right? I mean, it's Martinelli, I guess.
3: Martinelli. Yeah, so yep.
1: I, I think the upside to pulling Lacazette out of the lineup isn't enough to to be willing to sacrifice what he's doing without scoring. So I, I tend to agree. I haven't agreed. In the past, I felt Yang should be playing center forward and Lacazette should be on the bench. I think w- what we've seen under Arteta is it works having Lacazette in that role because of how important what we do off the ball is. Um, Paul, before we shift gears and just talk a little bit about what this meant for Arteta and the influence he he had in the, in the dressing room, a real quick note on Pepe. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think he was like masterful in this game, but I, I still think what you see is what we kind of hope for him to be, which is a guy who can just change a game by beating a player and, and creating space that wasn't there. Um, he did carry us out of danger a lot on the rare times we were able to escape in the first half, did it a little more in the second half. And the goal comes from some individual brilliance from him and then a little bit of good fortune on the finish. Do you do you think that the way he is providing something that we don't have in the squad without him is going to sort of make him undroppable for, for Arteta now?
3: Um, is he un? Will he should become undroppable? I guess what I'm saying um, is, are
1: you seeing enough? Like, I mean, is, you know, is this game another reminder there. that there's something that he adds that without him we just don't have? There's no one that really does that thing.
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, we don't really have a goal threat inverted winger apart from maybe Martinelli from the right hand side. Um. Or Obamyang um, doing his thing. But he just, you know, only probably Martinelli and Nelson have the ball control and the dribbling to do some of what Pepe does. But uh, only Pepe has that, the goal tra- threat, the hopefully uh, world-class finishing we were um, promised by the, uh, the Lille CEO there and... Um, uh, obviously I was really surprised when to Lacazette
1: say. took that free kick. And to be fair, yeah. he, hit, he hit the crossbar. He hit but the bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you better well, hit, you better uh, put uh, it in the goal if you're going to keep Pepe off the off the free kick duty.
3: I think it's because Lacazette, like you, is very worried about Lacazette and believes he needs a goal. <laughs> so because yeah. uh, he grabbed that bloody ball uh, immediately, so made made it very clear to the other two lads, Pepe and Luis, who was having first crack at this. And uh, thank God, because Luis had the se- second crack at a free kick yeah, and it was a slightly good. comic. Um, so, uh, I mean, it's all about, uh, I, I think we saw with Bielsa's team ha- how effective a system is. And um, Pepe is one of those players that maybe suits um, early early. Guardiola at City where he had, he was playing his inverted wingers and he had overlapping lapping fullbacks. Um, so he'll do really well with an overlapping fullback. But at the moment, he's tending to use Maitland-Niles as more of this false fullback pulling into midfield or at least forming at three and providing cover. So I think there's a little conflict in the system that may impact on Pepe. Um, where he's not the perfect fit for how he wants to use Maitland-Niles, and he doesn't always give Maitland-Niles the cover that, say, a Reese Nelson will. So uh, it may be an interesting first season for Pepe as he learns Arteta. I think he's the one, he always strikes me as the guy who's maybe struggling a little with communication and being on the same page with everybody on and off the pitch, so it could be a transition season for Pepe before he's really embedded into the the, the system mm. but he's obviously a class player i think him and Lacazette were a huge part of why the energy in the second half was differently that not not individually but their combinations up the right side were what uh, ran rings around them with uh, with Gendouzi behind them so uh, he he'll be a big player for us i don't know if he's going to be starting every game though
1: yeah i look you mentioned Martinelli, and and just a quick word for yeah. him. I, I don't know that there is any price that I would sell him for right now. Now I love to get over my ski tips on young talent, but like he just looks like he's got superstar written all over him. And even in his short time on the on the pitch, he had that one move where he flashed a shot wide, and and he gets the shot off so quick, and he's he strikes it so cleanly. I just, he just to me he's a center forward. I I I'd, I'd like to see him develop there. I know he can play on the wing, but I just I just think that as young as he is, to be looking as confident and involved as he is. I mean, you, you mentioned Nelson had 10, <clears throat> 10 touches, and to be fair, he had to play the whole first half when we didn't have much of the ball or any of the ball, but Martinelli's on the ball, he's involved, in it, and he's creating danger every time he's out there. Tim, let's finish with with a word about Arteta here, though, and, and we've spoken about him a bit, but, I mean, I, I think the the players let slip that he yelled at them at halftime. I don't, I don't think he wanted that known, but... It was made known that, that he did uh, give them the proverbial rocket, and it made the difference. One thing you worry about when you appoint a young, inexperienced coach is, it's all fun and games when you're winning or when you're on the training ground and working on tactics. It's another thing when you have to meet out the discipline, when you have to show them who the boss is, when you have to fire them up. How important is it that the team responded so positively to that, that reaction at halftime and, and came out with the, appropriate energy and appropriate effort required to to go win this game in the second half
2: yeah i think um i mean look we're we're in the honeymoon period right where like everything's great even the fact that let's face it we were shit in the first half is is great because we weren't shit in the second half so um Mm. i guess i want to temper it a little bit but it, it shows they're responding to him it shows that they respect him um, and that they're not, and you know, play, like I, I, think I said at the beginning, um, like a couple of pods ago, that Ozil was Arteta's teammate. Um, you know, it's, that 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 must be a really weird transition. To I was playing in midfield next to you for this club, like not long ago, um, and to kind of instantly get that respect, like I, I thought you know it it was an even better sign between the chelsea and the man u game because they lost the chelsea game but they stuck with the plan for man united because they they mm. saw past the result and into the performance um and so yeah the fact the fact that they responded great now obviously there's really well apparently there's only so many times you can do that that's the thing because if you keep Ranting and raving um, at every kind of halftime interval, then it loses its effect. Can, um, can I make so one say. caveat
1: to that, just real quick?
2: Sure. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, sure. I, I tend to agree, but but what I would say is, it stops working if it doesn't produce a result. You, so, you, you, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So so like with Emery, it was clear that he didn't have anything he could say to them that could produce a result. When it works, like it did here, I think mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it loses its effectiveness. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, and and look, Guardiola, um, from the sounds of it, has has done it enough times because it's about kind of keeping that intensity in. and particularly this early on. Um, you know, Arteta's talked about every game is about being intense and about running and and kind of setting that standard. So this this was kind of useful to that effect and and you know, to show that he's not kidding um as well. But I, I think Paul's right. I think the reality is that Um, the team didn't go out there with the intention to not be intense and be a bit crap in the first half it's just that's kind of the way things happened and and you know I, I I imagine even without a team talk if Arteta had said nothing they'd have been able to club their heads together and go yeah we need we need to do better than this we need to run a bit harder and we need to get a bit further up the pitch so you know it's not absolute managerial genius to say that but you're right the fact that they responded that's the important thing exactly and Mm -hmm. and and hopefully like going forward now going into crystal palace on saturday because because what we've done in this game still we got away with it but we've done that thing that we used to do under emery which is just throwing halves of football away um, and just saying, oh, well, that's the first 45. We've done nothing in that. And, and I don't think Arteta will stand for that. Uh, and that's a really useful exercise going into um, a game like Crystal Palace away where, you know, now he has like he has a real life recent example to say to them and say, if you start the first half of this game like you did on Monday, Zaha's going to fucking eat you for breakfast because he's 10 times better than any player leads have and you'll be two nil down. Um, when you come back into the dressing room so this is why like I'm not just saying we've got to be intense all the time just because I want to be hard on you but because it's the best way to deal with the game it's the best way to get results and and you know hopefully that's just like another part of convincing them not not that I think they needed convincing in words so much but indeed it's kind of and and look Arteta said this in as many words afterwards he said they, they can choose which way they play um, between the first half and the second half. But I think they're all going to reflect and think, yeah, the second half was better. And to our point a couple of pods ago, it was more fun, even though it was probably harder for them and they had to work a bit harder. I bet they enjoyed it. That's, a lot that's more crucial. And that's yeah, I think exactly. that's
1: an absolutely key point, Tim, that you've hit on, which is that it's one thing to say to players work harder, run around more. But I think to say you're on the rack because you're not running around, because you're not switched on, like, if you just up the intensity and sprint those two yards when you lose the ball and push a little bit higher when it's easier to just sink back into a shell, this will get more fun for you. You'll have more of the ball, which they did 12% improvement in possession, you know, or not 12% improvement, but, you know, whatever, 120 basis, whatever that is, 1,200 basis points. Um, Gosh, why did I do that? Um, But you know what I mean? Like, Tim, it's the point that, the game became more enjoyable for them to play when they put in that energy and when they were in the right position and when they were switched on. And I think that's an important lesson for players to learn that oh, you know what, being lazy, I was on the rack and the fans are on my back and I'm giving the ball away, and and seeing the difference it makes when you when you switch on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, look at the, the the Watford second half, for example. Probably one of the in terms of physical intensity, one of the least intense kind of showings i've seen from an arsenal team did anyone enjoy that did anyone on the pitch enjoy that don't think so um so yeah exactly it's it's about it's not just about run because me big boss man and you underling it's kind of run because that's the best way to get the result that's the best way to play the football that we want to play that's and and that's what he's talking about with fundamentals right it's like if you get this bit right then we can do like we can do the diagrams and we can do the one touch and, you know, we can all the stuff we use the rondos for and I can get you scoring like lovely tippy tappy goals and tap ins on the back post and everything. And by the way, wasn't uh, wasn't Reese Nelson's goal um reminiscent of if if not in the cleanness of the execution with the finish, it was, you know, that back post tap in for the winger Um seen that before somewhere. Mm. So, you know, it's very much do this bit and we can do like all of the fun stuff afterwards but actually this 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 just is better isn't it so um i, I and and i'm sure like arteta just comes off to me as as so intelligent and switched on i'm certain that that's that's, that's exactly what he'll say ahead of the palace game i'm sure
1: yeah and i i want to make the point too that one of the big clichés in football is that good teams win when they don't play well and oh, you know it's important to win ugly i couldn't disagree more We won a lot last year playing poorly and we continued to play poorly and eventually we stopped winning and eventually we lost a lot and then we couldn't stop losing. You know what good teams do? Good teams play well. That's what they do. Do they occasionally get lucky and win a game they shouldn't? Yeah, you occasionally get unlucky and lose a game you shouldn't. I mean, City drew with Spurs this season when the XG was like 5-0.1. to Okay? So that can happen. But I think the reason this game is important is we didn't win this game ugly. We got dominated in the first half and then absolutely battered the crap out of them in the second half. And on balance, by XG certainly, we wound up deserved winners. And the reason I think it's a huge credit to Arteta is we didn't just ride our luck and grind it out. We turned the performance around and became worthy winners of the game in my estimation. And I think that is a very important distinction. Um, we, we did, probably myself included, praise Emery early last season for getting some wins when he shouldn't, but we raised issues about the, the underlying performances. This is a game where if we had played both halves the same way, like we did in the first half and wound up winning, I'd be worried. The reason I'm really buoyed by this is he was able to make the change that was necessary at halftime, whether it's effort, whether it's tactical, whether it's a combination of both and then outperform leads dramatically. And I'm sure helped a little bit by a drop in their energy and their level. But Paul, you want to finish with your thoughts on Arteta's team talk and the impact it makes and and sort of what that says for him going forward.
3: Yeah. Um, So I thought uh, Emmy's description of it was very interesting. He, He said about Arteta, Those black eyes roll over white, and then, oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. Now, you thought that was just a bit of shtick I did a few pods ago. I I still do, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I actually think Arteta has a very, very hard streak to him. He has standards that people have to meet, and he will be very, very direct uh, and very quick to it. I think it's one thing to know the right thing to say, but Arteta knows the right thing to say before anybody else in the room. And so people listen to him. And I think the apart from everything we've said about the second half, I think the other big deal was it was the second half and we played not just the 10 minutes to get the goal or 10 minutes plus another 10 or through to 80. We kept that intensity which is, if you like, elective for that full 45 minutes because they did not want to go in and see that manager again. He wouldn't have been happy with just a goal and a win. Uh, if, if they'd slacked off, that's not what he needed for us to get. He has a very clear uh, uh map in his mind as to what each game gets him and how it moves us forward that step. That's why I think this was a perfect game for us at a perfect time uh, for our narrative after the United game. Uh, the we, took, we, we felt a little too good about things. We took things a little too easy. This is part of his suffering 101 against the ankle biters. And we came out hard in the second half and we maintained it for 94 minutes. And we could have kind of tried to control it, a little game management or whatever, uh, which I'm sure we did to a, a reasonable extent, but we didn't back off. And the energy levels were there. For, for, given that we said the first half was partly t- due to some fatigue, etc., the physical resources are there when you dig, when when the hive mind says this is what we need to do as a team. Um, I think the second half was a really big deal because those energy levels that intensity maintained for 94 minutes.
1: Mm, and I think we can throw this whole podcast out now because Adrian Clark just released his breakdown. So oh, <laughs> yeah, fuck. no, makes me so mad. Um, I think that's a good stopping point. That's, that's plenty on a game that ultimately, I, I mean, is just about progression. You know, it is also cliche to talk about cup football guys, but like, Cup football is about survive and advance, and especially at this point. It's January. You've just come out of the crazy busy uh, holiday period. You've got players who are tired. I mean, Tim, I know that I probably overemphasize fatigue and things like that, but I do think it plays a role, especially players who have said. Yeah. I mean, David Louise said after the United game, right, we're not there physically yet. Um, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. So and I mean, we've
2: seen yeah. like loads of injuries to other teams uh, over this holiday. Well, when when the games are <laughs> condensed, like over the Christmas period, like that is definitely a time to rotate. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and I think so. Okay, you can forgive them if maybe they try to switch off a little in the first half, and Arteta corrects it, and they put in the effort needed, and they get the victory. Thankfully, um, you know, we we don't have another game in midweek. Uh, not that you'd expect that to happen when you're playing on a Monday, but it's sort of a it's a catch-22, right? Because in a way, playing on Monday gave us a little more rest after United, which was desperately needed to face a pressing Leeds team. And in a way, it, it stinks because now we have one less day of, of rest for uh, Palace on Saturday. But it, it does give us a chance to bring players back in like like Maitland-Niles and Aubameyang and Torreira. So it's all good things. Uh, it is Bournemouth away, right, in the next round. So um certainly a winnable fixture if not um you know one that we've done great in the past but with arteta all things are possible pause on twitter pause my pants thanks pause Woo-hoo. tim's on twitter at thanks tim my pleasure as always i am off to las vegas uh where i will not be doing anything untoward but if i were to do anything untoward obviously what happens there i am told uh stays there so that's good uh and in the age of social media i'm sure that would be entirely true so i hope you have a wonderful week um we have uh Um, Scott's Analytics pod up on Patreon. We have Clive's First Transfer pod up on Patreon. Those will continue to come uh, weekly. And then we'll obviously have a pod after Palace. We might try to get another one out later this week. But with travel plans, that's going to be a little difficult. So uh, we'll do the best we can. In any event, we do love you. Hope you're doing great. And uh, we look forward to talking to you after Arsenal 10. Palace Hill.